If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his town at the gate of the place. They shall say to the elders of his town, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Hebrew Bible has, a, has very particular instructions for very particular situations. Deuteronomy 21, for example, de- details how parents, mothers, and fathers, families are to deal with stubborn and rebellious sons. Sorry, guys. The Hebrew Bible gets a bad reputation among Christians as being the testament with a different type of God than the God of the New Testament. And texts like Deuteronomy 21 do not help prevent this heretical train of thought. The truth is that our misconceptions about the Hebrew Bible, while it would be easy to blame God, are no one's fault but our own. Maybe even my fault. We do not study the Hebrew Bible with the same urgency or regularity as we do the Gospels or the Epistles, the books that make up our New Testament. Less than 20% of my preaching at Mount Olivet over the past five years has been from texts found in the Hebrew Bible. Sure, I sprinkle references from the Hebrew Bible into most sermons, but that's just to remind you that I spent the better part of two presidential administrations in seminary on your behalf. The Hebrew Bible is complicated. It's complicated because we do not fully understand the context as we are thousands of years separated from these original stories. There are names and cities we cannot pronounce. Whenever a scripture reading from the Hebrew Bible comes up, I tell our liturgists when they have a question about a pronunciation, say it quickly and with confidence. And if someone questions you, invite them to read the scripture the following week. Our Sunday school classes and Wednesday night studies tend to focus on the Gospels. Most devotionals focus on the gospel writings or the epistles. If any of these devotionals venture into the Hebrew Bible, they are likely to stay within the safe confines of the Psalms or Proverbs. I mean, look, if you don't believe me, look to last Sunday. Last Sunday, Pastor Sarah had to find a church-friendly translation for the scripture reading because what the prophet had to say was closer to rated R than PG-13. Had Pastor Sarah not found a softer translation, the online recording of this service 
and subsequent podcast of her sermon would have received an explicit rating from YouTube and iTunes and all of the powers in the cloud. Because we so infrequently read the Hebrew Bible, and because many of us don't fully grasp the backstory, we often miss that the God of the Hebrew Bible is the God of the New Testament. The same God who spoke to Israel from Mount Sinai is the same God who ministered in Galilee. The same God who called David is the God who ate with his closest friends and sinners throughout Galilee. It's the same God who sought after Israel and who seeks after us today. After presenting imagery of God's forgiving love, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then a series of accusations and pronouncements of punishment, chapters 4 through 10, the Lord concludes the Lord's work with the prophet Hosea with a picture of the parental nature of God, loving and nurturing. God is the parent and Israel is the child. Out of Egypt, the Lord rescued Israel from slavery. But like many of us or people we know, when God does something for us, it just isn't enough. After escaping through the Red Sea and then receiving the law on Mount Sinai, many of the Israelites who had just been rescued began to question God's provision. They worshipped false gods, forgetting what the Lord had done for them and what the Lord promised to continue doing for them. It's easy. It's very easy to point out the spiritual faults of others thousands of years ago or even today. You could call it a pastime among clergy when we get together. But the truth is that all of us do the same thing, forgetting the provision of God at some point in our lives. But that's not what the prophet is saying here. The prophet is not calling out Israel and Israel's lack of faithfulness. The point is not the spiritual shortcomings of the ancient Israelites or modern-day you. When Jim was reading our scripture this morning, I hope you noticed the I statements in verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 2, the more I called them the more they went from me. Verse 3, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Verse 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down and fed them. While we can focus on how we turn away, or others turn away from the Lord, the Hebrew Bible, all of it, the Gospels, all of them, and all of the epistles emphasize the action of God. The focus of the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21, from when God began to create the heavens and the earth, 
to the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. All of that and everything in between is on the action of God, the living God who is still at work in the world. And the point of the prophet's words today is that no matter the turning away of humanity, no matter how often we turn away from God, the Lord will not execute the justice that we are all too willing to execute upon one another. The compassion of the Lord is never ending. Rather, it is continually increasing. Through the prophet, the Lord is pointing out the reality that we proclaim week after week, even if we don't believe it when we confess our sins, but then we might forget a few hours or days later. That when we turn away and our love fails, God's love remains steadfast. Contrary to what the world says and how many have been treated by their own biological parents, the love of our heavenly parent, our eternal mother and father, only becomes more intense as we suffer the effects of sin. The sin we commit and the sin committed against us. The tension between texts like Deuteronomy 21, taking your son, the glutton and the drunkard, out to the city gate, where the elders will be ready with stones, and then Hosea 11. The tension is undeniable. We often turn towards God's love or God's justice. And this has led to the thought of the God of the Hebrew Bible and the God of the New Testament, that these two gods are somehow different, with the God of the Hebrew Bible being focused on justice and vengeance, while the God of the New Testament is, is friendly, grace-filled, and, and loving. Ignoring this tension ignores that this tension reveals even more to us about God than we can ever imagine. We know that God does not seek justice at the expense of love, nor love at the expense of justice. And this in the church, this is where we turn to Christ, because Jesus holds this tension in perfect harmony. Jesus invited himself to dinner at the home of a tax collector, a man who had cheated his neighbors out of money. And inviting himself to dinner, Jesus was extending grace, extending love, but also offering an opportunity to repent and to make right. Jesus drew in the dirt with his finger, while a mob near some city gates began to put down their stones. And then he told a woman to go and sin no more. And as he took his last breaths on the cross, Jesus extended forgiveness to the man next to him and then invited him to be with him in paradise, to gather around the table with all of the saints. And that is the good news of the gospel. And that good news is revealed between Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, 21. From our human, sin-rotted point of view, we cannot believe the prophet's words. How could God ever be loving and just, justice-seeking? We often look for asterisks besides the words of Jesus 
We thumb down to the bottom of our Bible looking for footnotes or endnotes, hoping to find something that just is not there. But the prophet tells us God's justice and God's love are perfect. And God promises never to destroy God's people to seek vengeance or restitution. Bishop Ken Carter is a United Methodist bishop in Florida. He wrote that holiness does not destroy sin. Through compassion and grace it saves. Perfection does not destroy imperfection. Through love it heals. We have been healed. And we are indeed loved for lives full of justice and lives filled with grace, the unmerited love of God, that love that there's nothing you can do about it, it's yours right now. There's nothing you can do to have more of it, and there's nothing you can do to have less of it. We have been healed, and we are loved to live lives of mercy and love. Amen.